Lord, I pray that, um, that you would open our eyes to see your glory, glory, your generosity, your grace. We pray, Lord, that you would um, stir in us a real thankfulness about who you are and all you've done. And Lord, I pray just practically that you'd help us to know what to do with all that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been um, given the task today to speak on one of our uh, five values, being a loving and generous community. Um, We can all come out with fine-sounding words, maybe be seen as wise and influential, be great patrons of charities and mission partners, even the arts, even be regarded as giants of faith and looked up to in the Christian community. But reminded by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, without love, we are nothing. We're resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. Love is practical. Love is eternal. Love never fails. Now, the passage today helps us to think a little bit more, and we might have to stretch our imaginations, but about love and gratitude. Volumes have been written, not just in the Christian world, but in the secular world, about the former, about love. And um, I'm not going to get it taped in a few minutes this morning uh, as I share with you, but we're going to come back to this value time and time again. Pippa this evening will be sharing a little bit about what love looks like in practice. I start my look at Luke 2. If you want to look it up, um, it's on page 1028 of our uh, Bibles, which you'll find in the chairs in front of you. Luke 2, 22 to 40. I start us thinking at Holy Trinity about being loving, loving and generous, not so much us being loving and generous, but turning it around and focusing on the one who we believe in, who is a loving and generous God. So we start with God. When we listen to the echoes of the most, one of the most famous Christmas readings, which I have down as John 1, we hear about the Word becoming flesh and making his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. This gift is God. As one of the most uh, comprehensive creeds says, he's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him, through Jesus, all things were made. John 3.16 proclaims that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is God in the flesh, generously given. He came not to condemn the world but to save the world. I find it astonishing that Jesus would give up his heavenly status and allow himself to be placed 
in the care of any human being, but in the care of Mary and Joseph. Although the people of Israel have been longing for a saviour, initially it seems that Joseph, and from his perspective, and given their circumstances, that Jesus uh, was more than inconvenient and unwanted and unasked for, certainly by him. It took Joseph a little bit of time to get used to the idea. God changed his heart and mind. Mary was entrusted, and I've been a little bit sort of down on Mary. What's the point of Mary? Sometimes we as Anglicans don't get it, really. But she carried and gave birth to the Savior of the world. Those of you who've carried a baby will know how precious that is, how much you need to look after yourselves. But imagine who Mary was carrying and Joseph was called to guard and provide for. What a responsibility to bring him up. I think this begs some reflection on the things that God has called us to care for or to bear on his behalf. Jesus was born into a Jewish family that were part of a wider Jewish community. They wanted to do the right things to satisfy the faith requirements of this community, the law. In Luke 2.21, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Tick. Levitical law, Leviticus 12, makes it clear that if Mary and her son were going to be able to relate to the wider community, she needs to follow Old Testament law and custom and separate herself from the community for 33 days. She was unable to touch anything um, sacred or go to the sanctuary. And I didn't know this, but it was 66 days if you had a girl. Mary needed to be clean. Jesus needed to be consecrated by a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. And consecration means set apart for God. Luke 2.23 refers back to the story of the Exodus, Exodus 13. The firstborn fruit of every womb belonged to God and needed to be offered back to him. As a willing act of thanksgiving and duty, Leviticus 12.6, Mary and Joseph were supposed to offer uh, a year-old lamb, a pigeon and a dove as a sin offering. But if you couldn't afford that, Leviticus 12.8, a couple of doves or a couple of pigeons would do. I've not considered this before, but it seems from Luke 2.24 that God, the Savior of the world, entrusted himself to a couple who could only afford a pair of doves or a couple of pigeons. We pause for a moment Mary, the mother of God, the God-bearer in Greek, Theotokos, made the minimum offering. It was costly in other ways, people casting aspersions on her character. And looking forward, it would be very costly indeed in the fullness of time as Jesus made his journey to the cross. One assumes that it was all that they could afford. 
and that this was acceptable to the priest and to God. In response to all all God has done for us, we give generously to God or are called to in whole life worship. We must give, but we must give only what we can afford to give. And I realize there's a big conversation around that. And the question is whether us and God think similarly on these things. We know from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 6 that we're called to excel in the grace of giving. And in chapter 9 verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver. Spiritually speaking, Christ is born in us today by faith through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. How would we be judged on the Mary and Joseph gratitude and loving generosity scale? Is it to be a lamb or a couple of pigeons or nothing? Are we thankful, trustworthy custodians of the Savior of the world? What should we offer God as we ask him to consecrate us in generous and loving service of his purposes? As many know, my family and I moved, were privileged to move into the vicarage just over a year ago, um, just before Christmas. But I was sort of banned from coming to the church before the 18th of January when not quite consecrated, but I was licensed to serve you as vicar here. And in that time, I got to go to a couple of other churches. And one of the visits was to St. Paul's Dorking, where Ruth, the vicar, was speaking on this passage. I think it was probably uh, one of the first passages that she spoke on at the start of the new year. She asked this question to start her sermon. And uh, I don't know whether Dawkins that different from us and people's aspirations similar to us here. But she said, what's on your bucket list? What's on your bucket list? Some of you have probably read the stuff about a hundred things that you might want to do before you die. Maybe scale a mountain. Circumnavigate the world. Uh, feed all the world's hungry. Um, I don't know, what is it? for you that you'd like to do before you died. A lot of her congregation um, have all sorts of different ideas about this. I'm sure we're the same. And it's always good to celebrate God and his creation. It's so good to be able to travel, although it gets unhealthy if globetrotting is our sole mission and purpose in life. She then pointed out to us Simeon, who had only one thing on his bucket list before he died. We're told in verse 25 forward that he was a righteous and devout man and anointed by the Spirit. He was waiting for Israel's rescue. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. What an ambition! to have on your bucket list. What celebration when Simeon met and held Jesus, the saviour of the world, in his arms. 
he exclaimed, I can now die in peace. Let me put it to you that for all of us, according to Christian theology, unless we've allowed ourselves to be embraced by the Savior of the world, we can't die in peace. It's such a challenge. Some of the spiritual traps are indifference and self-gratification. How do you feel? Do we celebrate when lost people come and are found by Jesus? I hope so. How do we feel? Do we celebrate when people we know are born from above? Simeon held in his arms God's longed-for answer to the prayers and the cries of the people of Israel. Jesus was God's loving and generous gift to bring salvation to all people, not just to the Jews. I'm going to give away a little bit about my misspent youth here. I heard these words lots and lots of times, partly when I was at boarding school probably, but partly when I was reluctantly going off to boarding school. I might have gone to evening prayer with my dad. The things you'll do just to stay at home just that little bit longer. But even song, the Nunc Dimittis, Sovereign Lord, verses 29 to 32, read at Complins and also at funerals. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Once received, the people of Israel were to share God's salvation with the whole world. No wonder that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. This was a next but important step in their ongoing revelation of who they had been entrusted with. We know the story and the mixed blessing it was for Jesus to fulfill his mission and the mixed blessing it was for Mary to look on. You see, those that love much leave themselves very vulnerable and we hurt much when we see those that we love suffering or no longer with us. Mary certainly would witness Jesus being ridiculed, tried and tested, then killed at the hands of his own loving and generous community. Question mark. Figuratively speaking, verse 35, a sword would pierce Mary's own heart. Back today to what should be my principal focus, being a loving and generous community. We do this in response to all that we receive from our loving and generous God. Our purpose at Holy Trinity, as we're getting more familiar with, is to encounter celebrate and share God's transforming love. In this church, I assume 
that we might agree that one of the primary callings of God and his church is to point people to Jesus for their salvation. In Luke 2, verses 37 and 38, we read that Anna, a widow and prophetess, had been worshipping day and night, fasting and praying. When she encountered Jesus, she couldn't contain herself and spoke to all about him. In 1997, I was given a gift, this Bible, by a prayer partner. I had a prayer partner from YWAM, and when I used to work in the city, we used to pray together all sorts of weird places, wandering around the International Petroleum Exchange, where I worked. That took a lot of prayer. Actually, folks thought we were very weird, I think. They were probably right. But this Bible's just falling apart. Don't worry, I've got some other Bibles, but... um, you know, it's sort of coming apart. It's a little bit thumb. Maybe it wasn't made very well. I don't know. But YWAM, as you know, they're sort of quite radical. I think that's one of their purposes. It's probably to make disciples of all nations. And some of the um, footnotes and things in here are stories that they share. I mean, some of these people work in really extreme situations. They need to sort of be encouraged that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. Anyway, the reflection on Luke 2 in this Bible um, says this, a light to the Gentiles. While many people in that day thought that the Messiah was only for Israel, Simeon proclamation showed amazing insight into the Lord's long-standing plans. He's a God for all peoples, and he's prepared, he's prepared a way for his message of salvation to be revealed in every culture. When a small team of missionaries first made contact with the Palmari tribe deep in the Amazon jungle, they got a surprising welcome. As soon as the village leader understood why they were there, she came, became very excited and started shouting and gesturing. She told them that years earlier the villagers had heard rumors that the Creator had made a way for people to know Him. They were acutely aware of their separation from God and wondered how they'd get this good news. So they decided to build a meeting place in expectation that God would send a messenger to them. The Palmari people led the missionaries to the meeting place, a long-since rotted ruin in the jungle. The missionaries wept in remorse at how long it had taken for God's message to arrive. I know that when we talk about love and generosity, we're often thinking about our time, talents, and our money. Maybe also about loving service. Maybe a listening ear. However, for those of us who've encountered Jesus, received God's salvation, are temples, custodians of his Holy Spirit, We have much more to celebrate and share. Who's waiting for us to share the most loving gift of all, salvation for our souls? 
I was so encouraged this week to hear about the generous welcome a couple of our church members received. They're here, um, Sarah and Vicky, when they walked around the parade, visiting local businesses, talking about the prayer initiative that we're going to be doing, and then asking them if they'd want to be prayed for and loads were. I went round the next day and stumbled into a few of these places, and they just brought this up with me, the local businesses. One person said, January's always a bad month for me. I'll take all the prayer I can get. We plan to take prayer out from this building onto the street, and just for the record, it's sometimes quite hard to take prayer into this building and we offer prayer, it's sometimes really, really hard to find anyone who probably values prayer enough to want to come and receive it, actually. There's so many Sundays that our team are probably sitting, standing there doing not very much. So it's not that we've got fed up with this, but we wonder whether we'll get a more generous welcome from our local community because we don't want our local community to rot and decay because they haven't heard the gospel and received his grace. We think of God's commands and his commission. Let's not wait for the rot to set in, in the life of our communities, the communities that we engage with on a daily basis. Lord, help us to reach out and share your transforming love with all, in word and deed. Amen.